What's up, everybody? Welcome to Season 8 of the Disciple Makers Podcast. My name is Dave Stovall. I'm the Creative Director for Discipleship.org and also your podcast host. Today, I'll be sharing a clip from one of our Q&A sessions with our point leader, Bobby Harrington. We host these sessions on our collective platform. And if you don't know what that is, it's a new platform designed for online conversations about disciple making. So you can go to discipleship.org slash collective to join for free and start taking advantage of all that we offer there. So today's clip is of Bobby interviewing Harry Brown about disciple making movements and planning churches that plant other churches. Harry is the president of New Generations, and as Bobby says himself, there's no better spokesperson to North America about disciple-making movements than Harry. I was amazed at the stuff that Harry had to say about what's going on around the world within these movements. And if you're wondering what Discipleship.org is all about, I'll tell you, we're about championing Jesus-style disciple-making so that we get to see, hopefully with our own eyes, in North America a disciple-making movement that just breaks out across our country and totally just starts a revival here where we are. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation between Bobby Harrington and Harry Brown. Hope you guys enjoy. So Harry, great to have you with us. Um, Let's start, if I can... I want to ask you to welcome everyone, and then uh, if you'll tell us a little bit about your background. Actually, before you do that, I, I need to not presume people know who I am. So uh, my name is Bobby Harrington. I have the privilege of being the founder and the point leader of discipleship.org, and our our mission is to champion Jesus-style disciple-making, and our vision is the day when we see disciple-making movements as the norm in families, communities, and churches. And so that's a pretty big aspiration. But uh, we feel like nothing else is uh, uh, worthy of uh, our highest aspirations for King Jesus. So I'm so grateful to have everybody with us. Uh, Please take note of the Q&A box. We're going to try to get to your questions. All right, Harry, to you. And uh, introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, and it's a delight to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. So in terms of background, um, been in full-time ministry for 46 years, and 44 of that were in a single organization called City Team, headquartered out in the San Francisco Bay Area in the city of San Jose. And in that um, 44 years, I had four seasons. The first one was in a camping ministry with the inner city kids, The second was moving into a ghetto neighborhood with my new wife to uh, incarnate and be close to the people that we were serving. And then the uh, third season was, for whatever reason, they made me CFO of the organization, which is still a mystery to me. And then for the last 25 years of that time, I was asked to launch a church planting division from a clean sheet of paper. And so the first 10 years of that were pretty much R&D, figuring out what kind of value we had to offer to the greater uh, missionary enterprise. And then the last 15 years have been uh, the outpouring of God's favor on the idea of disciple-making movements. And so God has chosen to do incredible things in, uh, in that time frame. And I'll just give you a quick characterization, but I want to put it under the banner of this is what God is doing, and he's used us to partner with him in the process. So in the last 15 years, uh, we have documented uh, that God has raised up 1.8 million new followers of Jesus that are gathered into 78,000 new churches. Hey, are, Harry, let me just interrupt you there. Sure. So are you talking about uh, uh, God has done this through the broad ministry uh, that you've been involved with in particular? Yeah, the the numbers that I'm giving you are things that we have documented as a byproduct of what God has done through our ministry. So I just want to highlight that for everybody, because it's easy to think, oh, you're talking worldwide stuff. No, 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 no. This Mm -hmm. is through the disciple-making movements that Harry uh, is gracefully helping lead. Well, in in terms of getting it done, uh, I was just reading in my devotions yesterday in uh, Romans fifteen eighteen, and Paul says very eloquently, he said, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Jesus has done. Ooh. 
And so uh, let, let that be the tone when we go forward. But what God has done is, is brought about uh, 1.8 million new followers of Jesus. And I use the term follower, not believer, because it all revolves around obedience. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to do. And they're gathered into 78,000 uh, plus churches. But the main metric that we use is movement. We're in the disciple-making movement enterprise. And we define a movement as at least 100 new churches that have multiplied to at least four generations of churches, planting churches, planting churches. So right now we're tracking 128 of those disciple-making movements, and there's, thir there's uh, six of them that are now north of 30 generations of churches, planting churches. The reason that that is important uh, from a missiological standpoint is I am totally committed to the idea that if you cannot uh, catalyze something that can maintain its quality and do it without you, then you're not having a great commission conversation. So the idea here is chain reactions of disciples making disciples that results in a cascade of churches planting churches that can continue the process with quality without you. And so uh, that's what God's been doing in the last 15 years. And it's through a process that is not rocket science, because uh, the things that are going to be operative to get the Great Commission done have to be simple. They have to be sustainable and they have to be scalable. If those things aren't true, then once again, you're really not having a Great Commission conversation, no matter how nice it is. No, that's that's good. All right. Well, I have like a gazillion questions <clears throat> personally, and I noticed in the chat box we're getting questions from Kyle and Dave. We're going to get to your questions, okay. uh, but before I go to their questions, Harry, I just want to cover a couple of things. <clears throat> uh, I really like your definition of disciple-making movements, uh, and it was at the heart of uh, thinking through the definition we're using but I would like to point people to our definitions at discipleship.org. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the reason I want to do that is to provide sort of a context. And uh, I'm not going to go through all these definitions. You can go to discipleship.org, the about tab, and then you come down to these definitions. I do want to highlight the last three because I think they're super important. And I'm highlighting them here. The first is a disciple making culture. Uh, which is going to be really more important than strategy. It's a culture where the beliefs, habits, and narrative of a church constantly repeated with congruence and intentionality that make it clear to almost everyone all the time, including newcomers, that disciple-making is what everyone does in this church. And then um, emerging some things here we have done with uh, the Exponential Church Planting Network here in North America and that is identifying a level five church, uh, which is a church uh, where disciple-making is the core DNA and culture of the church, where the average church member makes disciples to the fourth generation, and this disciple-making activity is regularly produced in significant and diverse streams within the church, and these streams multiply consistently into new churches. So that's a big deal. And then uh, I think I might like Harry's definition in some ways better than ours because he says 100 new churches in four generations. But uh, we're using the definition. A disciple-making movement exists when churches plant multiple churches within a few short years through gospel activity that is abundant fruit among the lost that multiplies these disciples who are people growing in obedience to all of Jesus' commands. It's obedience-based disciple-making who in turn replicate themselves in others so that we see at least four generations regularly produced in multiple streams of disciple-making activity, and these streams uh, multiply consistently into churches, we might say at least a, a hundred churches. So I just kind of wanted to lay down that, that grit. It's a little bit different, but to just give context. By the way, yeah. um, my respect for Harry on this is so great that on most of these things, I'm going to I'm going to defer to Harry's definitions because Harry, you are very good at definitions. I got to tell you, 
Um, well, thank you for that. Um, I, I, I do think that uh, what you put up there, I've not read it before, but it's sweet stuff. And so I, I appreciate it. And let me just uh, throw a few things in because it ties Please. so well with what you've put there. Um, the, the first is that you use the word culture. And it is hard to overstate how important that is. Most people do not realize that the job of a leader is to create, to preserve, and to transfer culture. Now, why is that a big deal? I'll put it under the heading of legacy. A legacy is something that you are the catalyst for but doesn't depend on you, as opposed to your accomplishments. Your accomplishments are what they're going to try to summarize on your tombstone, but your legacy is what's going to continue on making impact without you. Culture is the vehicle for that. Because if it's a system, if it's an organization, if it's an individual leader, it's transitory. It tends to fade when those things are no longer there. But if you can help create a culture that says the reason for being is to reproduce the DNA of the kingdom in the next generation and make sure that they have it as their primary mission in life to repeat the process, now you have something that can carry into the future and it, it has a multiplying impact to it. And there's a couple of places in the scripture that no one ever talks about where it says God's command to a thousand generations. You think about that, where none of us are going to live to see a thousand generations of anything. But if we can be used of God to be able to create a culture that has as its intent a thousand generations from now, if somebody checked, they'd still find the DNA that was rooted today carrying on. Well, that's a life worth living. Boy, that's for sure. Uh, by the way, your acronym, it needs to be, uh, I think you were saying, simple. What are the three S's again? Yeah, simple, sustainable, and scalable. The, here's the upshot on simple. The, the plain reality is, is that the vast majority of the undone task must be done by ordinary people. The magnitude is so large, the dispersion is so great, et cetera, that if it's not simple to where what I'll call Joe and Sally Smith, ordinary people can actually do it effectively, well, then you can't win. And when I say win, what I mean is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, run to win. That's God's requirement. It, it makes makes us think about what is the strategy necessary to accomplish God's end goal, not to do good things. Good things are great, but they're insufficient to the end goal. What are we going to have to do to make sure that it's true, that we are in it to win it? Well, one of those things is it has to be simple. Now, I did not say, and I do not mean simplistic. As soon as you go to simplistic, lowest common denominator, you're going to lose. But simple is a requirement so that ordinary people can do it wherever God has placed them. Well, the second one is sustainable, the idea that it can keep going. The easy aspect is money. If it always depends on outside money, it can't keep going. But that's not the only issue for sustainability. And then the third one is scalability. Minimum, we're talking about $5 billion lost. I think it's closer to $6 billion. Doesn't matter which one you pick. In order to get to that kind of magnitude, whatever you put in motion, let's say you're the catalyst for, the impetus for, whatever that is, if it is not scalable, then once again, you are not having a great commission conversation. Wow. You know, Harry, I was using, I was describing for people what we call micro disciple making mm -hmm. uh, strategies in the, every church needs micro disciple making strategies. And I was saying that they needed to be uh, simple, effective, and reproducible. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like your language and, and framing of things there uh, as well. Well, listen, uh, because our time is short, mm -hmm. relatively so, and there's so many things to talk about, I want to take everybody to your website. So I'm going to share the screen now. Okay. And I'm going to take everybody to your website. And I want to talk about um, the disciple-making movements that you are a part of. Now, Harry, while I'm, while I'm getting there, 
Um, <clears throat> can you describe the look? One of the questions in the chat box is, uh, you know, where your movement is when you're talking about this. Uh, sure. Because most of these churches are not in North America. In fact, I want to get to that conversation about North America while we're going sure. to your website. But where are these churches located? Yeah, so the current scope for New Generations is 55 countries in what we characterize as 11 global regions. And it's currently encompassing 655 people group engagements, as well as 77 either urban engagements or what we call population segment. But what's a population segment? Street kids, prisoners, prostitutes, gang members, slum dwellers, et cetera, et cetera. Those groupings don't fit into traditional people group kind of definition. And they're typically outside the reach of missions and churches who don't specialize in those things. So we're unwilling to not have them be considered in a strategy, but they have to have a strategy that fits their circumstance. And so here's something I'll, I'll offer. It's, it's just an idea stimulator that whatever you do, wherever you do it, it has to have a common essence but it requires a custom expression. There is no one size fits all. There is no cookie cutter that's gonna get you to the end of the Great Commission. Having said that, if you start compromising on the essence, trying to morph it into what is gonna uh, fit for folks so that they can buy it like they would buy something in terms of consumer choice, you lose. You can never compromise the essence of the gospel. But having said that, if you're unwilling to customize the expression, you will also lose. And again, win-lose means 1 Corinthians 9.24, run to win. Oh, that's good. So, Harry, <clears throat> you and I have talked about this in the past uh, in terms of are there true disciple-making movements in North America? Mm -hmm. And I haven't talked recently about it, in fact, since we last talked, discipleship.org, in partnership with the Exponential uh, Network, did a national study on disciple-making churches and disciple-making in churches. We could not identify any clear disciple-making movement churches. Um, the rule of thumb in all the experts that I have talked to is that there's incipient disciple-making movements in North America, but no true movements. Uh, are you uh, in sync with me on that, or is your evidence uh, a little different? No, I would say I'm in sync with you on that. Uh, there's some bright spots, but it's still embryonic. And there is a, a wide variation in what people define as a movement. And so you have to ask the second level and the third level question to get down to, okay, well, what are you trying to describe? Yes. When somebody describes, well, there's a magnitude but there's diffusion in it. That's not the same as we typically talk about movement. So it, it does come down to somewhat of definition. But I think it's fair to say in the North American context that the stuff that's happening is early enough in the curve that I wouldn't say that we have any what I would characterize as disciple-making movements that I can point to yet. Okay, good. <clears throat> and, of course, we'll be collaborating and <clears throat> searching for those together. Right. I and now... Before we move on, we must pound the table and say, and let this not be true in the future. There you go. Let us make sure that it is equally true here as any place far away, because there is nothing, underline that, there is nothing that should prevent it here. People try to give me all kinds of arguments why it's not going to work here, and it all boils down to excuses. The same God who is making it happen there through the same mechanism is the same God who will make it happen here. And anybody who turns their back on that and says, for whatever reason, the barriers are bigger here than there, just hasn't opened their eyes to see. Well, good. I want to dive into that with you uh, because we've been really trying to dig deep on disciple-making movements uh, because we want them to happen in the North American context. My yeah. wife and I, my wife and I last night, uh, when we went to bed, uh, she she like she was praying. We're trying this new uh, prayer uh, habit together, her and I, where we get a, we get on our knees across the bed from each other. And she was praying last night. I thought, yes, uh, like she was praying for revival. I'm going, whoa, that was that was uh, 
really a good prayer there, Cindy. And it's, we've got to be praying that God is going to move here because if God doesn't move, this nation is in big trouble. Amen. uh, We want to see God bring disciple making revival in uh, the United States. Okay, Harry, let's jump into uh, your website and these principles. So uh, one of the things I want everybody to know who's watching this is at discipleship.org, we try to fan into flames Jesus-style disciple-making. And if somebody's within the parameters of our 10 affirmations that you can find in the About tab, then we just want to fan the flames. So I want to fan the flames of new generations. So we want to encourage you to go to their website. I'm going to take you there right now uh, on the screen as we're going to, sh- I'm going to share my screen on their website and it's newgenerations.org and uh, forward slash approach. So uh, if you go there with me, you'll be able to see uh, what Harry and I are about to go through. Okay. So it's the about tab and it says a vision for vineyards, not just grapes and the idea of starting movements. And so the movements, uh, and again, here's the short definition. We define a movement as at least 100 new churches that have multiplied to the fourth generation. Very succinct there, Harry Brown, as you usually are. So the essential elements here, I'm just going to rattle them off, and then I want to go through them really quickly with Harry, and then we'll try to get to your questions. First, form a prayer base then train local leaders, then enter the community, then find the person of peace, then form the first discovery Bible study, often called DBSs or just discovery groups. Coach people to salvation, coach them to baptism. Harry and I already talked about how there are people like me who think that baptism is the normative response in Scripture, Uh, where we uh, express faith in Jesus for salvation. Normative, but not exclusive. But anyway, this is their model. And then uh, number four, they're coached to forming the first church. Then they coach the multiplication into a natural network. And then coach the repeating, I'm sorry, coach repeating the process in new networks. So this is really clear and uh, really simple. So, Harry, why don't you take a couple of minutes on each of these, and then we'll get to the questions of our audience. You you bet. And up in the heading, it says a process. And the idea here is to give general waypoints on the process, not trying to be exhaustive and not saying exclusive. This isn't the only way to get something done. It's to give a frame of reference so people can understand how we're um, fulfilling God's uh, call to us. So the first one, form a prayer base. Everybody, By the way, Harry, can I just double check here? Can yep. you see your website right now? I can, yes. Okay, good. So that everybody's seeing the same thing. Yep, there you go. Okay. So the first one says form a prayer base, and everybody would say amen, and of course, and some might even say duh. Here, here's the question. The stuff you really value shows up in your calendar and your checkbook. Do you really put the time and money to fulfill what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you really, really believe that, what are you going to do? That's the first part. The second part is that what, what is the essence of what we're doing? The essence of what we're doing is spiritual warfare, setting the captives free, the gates of hell not prevailing because you're attacking the gates and so forth and so on. So the little tagline there, that says, break the spiritual strongholds first. Let's get real practical. So Jesus said, super clear, the Father's not coming. I mean, Father's not drawing them. They're not coming. So what should we be doing? Praying that the Father is drawing them. Jesus said, super clear. You don't tie up the strong man. You cannot steal his stuff. So what should you be doing? Praying to bind the strong man. Jesus gave us the track to run on with those two things, what has to happen in the spiritual warfare realm. And so if we don't put the prayer base in place, we can't expect that there's going to be the magnitude of results that's necessary to fulfill the goal. So right now, um, we have north of 100,000 dedicated intercessors who are laboring before the throne day and night in prayer and fasting, 
to break the strongholds to set the captives free. So whenever you hear a big number or something that's impressive, remember that the power comes through prayer and it's supplied by God in response to doing what he asked us to do. So, so Harry, uh, for if you're a movement of 1.8 million, if I, if I got that number right, yes, you're saying 100,000 people are praying, regu- fasting and praying. I want to emphasize fasting and praying. Yes. Uh, uh, regularly for that movement. So that's one out of every 18 uh, these, is these regularly people, fasting and praying. Everybody is encouraged and trained to pray. We're talking about people who dedicate their life to intercession. We have 11 global regions. I'll give you a characterization of what they do in Anglophone West Africa because they have different ways they express this. Here's their covenant to each other as a dedicated intercessor. You're going to pray and fast every Wednesday. You're going to pray and fast the first three days of the month. You're going to pray and fast the first three days of the year, which means that month is double. You're going to take ownership of a slice of a 24-7 clock. You're going to pray from 2 to 3 in the morning. I'll pray from 3 to 4. He'll pray from 4 to 5 and so forth. Then they sign up for half-night prayer per month, full-night prayer per month, and extended fast during the year that go up to 21 days. That is what I mean when I say a dedicated intercessor. I don't mean we invite people to pray. I mean people have given their life to this aspect of the enterprise. Wow. Again, uh, there's a book called Kingdom Unleashed that uh, gives you a a sense of what uh, Harry's talking about. Okay, Harry, talk about train local leaders. Yeah, so here's the overarching banner. Start like you want to finish. Think down the road, 10 generations, 15, 20. What do you want to have? Do you want to have it tethered to the outside people? The answer is an obvious no. Well, then you got to start like you want to finish. You have to make sure that the sons of the soil, the daughters of the soil, are the ones who are leading the charge from day one. Part of the the, um, missionary enterprise's failing is not to get the party started, but to stay too long or to leave too soon. You, you cannot leave too soon and leave people abandoned. We'll get to that in the second half because it says coach, 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 coach. But the other side of the coin is if you stay too long, you inadvertently take over. That's just the way human nature works. So it's about the local folks, the ones who are going to be the ones fulfilling the destiny that God has given them because in his sovereignty, he placed the leadership inside of every aspect that is untouched. He's waiting for it to be identified, for it to be inspired and coached and trained to fulfill its destiny. The next one says, enter the community. Okay, what does that mean? Well, here's the truth of the matter, is that what you offer and who you are is not welcome or wanted. So what you have to do is establish some kind of relationship that gives you opportunity. Let's call it scratching an itch. To scratch an itch could take any number of forms clean water, education, medical, dental, whatever it is that people are interested in that gets you in relationship. And what's the purpose of that relationship? You're now very intentionally looking for the next step in the process, which is called find the person of peace. So Luke 10, Matthew 10 talks about this. I summarize them as having two concrete characteristics. They have spiritual interest because the Father is drawing them, and they have community influence. Now, those two key characteristics unlock the door so that you don't have to kick it down. And there's been a whole lot of very well-intentioned people who kicked down doors and ruined their opportunity while they were trying to do something very, very noble. So you find the person of peace to unlock that door. Then the next little icon says, form the first discovery Bible study. But the idea here of discovery is that people will hear from God and respond to him. That's DNA level stuff. Personal discovery means you have your nose in the word of God and you're expecting to hear from God and you're willing to respond to God. In that, what you're doing is setting a DNA that says, okay, I will follow this the rest of my days. Let me emphasize that there's nothing about discovery that is anti-teaching or anti-preaching in any way, shape, or form. This is a point of strategy, not theology. What you want is each and every new follower of Jesus 
to have a lifestyle of having their nose in the Word of God, their ear tuned to the will of God revealed in the Word of God, and their heart being willing to obey what is being revealed to them. That's what you're after. That sets the foundation. So with that foundation in place, what you have is lost people who are now seeing that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And as you can hey, see in the Harry, icon. Let, yes. Let me just jump in before you do that. Uh, I, I'm just going to add a little color for people who may not know about uh, Discovery Bible Study. Sure. Really fantastic. So I'm just going to describe it succinctly. It's joint. It's being invited into a group of people, and you're going to go over a, a section of Scripture, and everybody is treated as an equal. There's no bringing up a commentary this or a, you know, I searched on the web for that. It's like, here's what the text says. And then it's it's trying to say, what what was this text saying? Uh, how's God speaking into this to me now? How can I share this? Uh, what do I need to obey? And how can we help each other? And it's uh, it can be as simple as a one hour or maybe even less Bible study. And you just have, typically there's, around eight questions, sometimes more, sometimes less, and everybody uses the same questions, and it leads to two things. Who are you going to share this with who doesn't know Jesus, and what are you going to obey uh, that you may not be obeying right now? There's nuances beyond that, but that's the essential thing, uh, just to give everybody a sense of that. We have a, a recording of Shidonke, uh Johnson training on that, who is a part of Harry Brown's team, and uh, it's it's a really it's a really cool thing. I'm sorry. Back to you, Harry. Yeah, no worries. Um, so you'll see from here forward, the lead-in is coach, 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 coach. The reason that that word starts everything is to find that balance between not taking over and being the hub of the wheel, but not abandoning people who are at the early part of their journey. So the idea of a coach is to give compass headings in Scripture. I use the term compass because GPS is robotic. Go 300 feet, turn left, go 400 feet, turn right kind of thing. Life doesn't work that way. If you have a compass in your hand and there's a rock in front of you, you get past the barrier and then you back on track by checking the compass. It's a life skill that undergirds you the rest of your day. So a good coach understands what is the next step in the journey. Well, obviously, the first big step is salvation. You are a sinner. He's a savior. So as you coach them to discover that, then they respond accordingly by saying yes to him and by being baptized in obedience. Those things are hand in glove. And it, it's part of the journey for them to discover it so that it's both personal and permanent and therefore transferable. They can help the next generation the same way. I won't tell you what to do. I will point you where to look. You develop your own conclusion, respond accordingly, and get somebody else to do the same. That's chain reaction stuff. So now they've come to know the Savior and been baptized in obedience. Coach them to form the first church. So what does that look like? You begin to lay out the passages in Scripture of what is this gathering, this ecclesia? What are its characteristics? What are its internal functions? What are its external functions? What are its roles? Those are big questions. You don't discover all that in one day. But again, you shouldn't be borrowing them from somebody else. Because if you do the heavy lifting yourself, get in the word, what does it say? What does it mean? What am I going to do in response? You now have something that has deep roots, even if it took longer to get there. The next station of coaching is multiplication in the natural network. So here's the Great Commission reality from my perspective. The only way to get the Great Commission done, full stop, underline, make it blink red. The only way to complete the Great Commission is when ordinary people are multiplying disciples in their natural networks. That's it. And if I'm right, and if that is the track to run on in order to win according to God's requirement, then what you have to do is coach people how to make it happen in their natural networks. Now think about this for a second. We all use the term viral and COVID these days, given it a bad name. 
after the internet gave it a good name. Okay, but we understand the dispersion. Think about it this way. When it leaves you, it doesn't stay like you. Okay, so when it's the close-in network, it tends to be like you. But look at that next icon. Coach repeating in new networks. Okay, that means something crossed over. The way God has organized the world is that it intersects. Hence, things can go viral. So a coach will help you disperse it in your natural network, the stuff that is like you, but will also help coach it into the things that don't look like you when somebody crosses over. And the farther it gets from you, the less like you it's going to be. But that carries the formula for success in the Great Commission because the lost, who are the focus of all this, there's a bunch of them, five to six billion. They are highly dispersed. They're all over the place. They're extremely diverse. There is no one size fits all. And they're very difficult or else it would already be done. So against that backdrop, you have to be able to see it happen in the natural network. And that's where you gain your experience. But then it has to cross over into new networks in order to get the job done. So that's the short version of those 10 process steps that we used to launch disciple making movements. Terry, that's great. Thank you for that. Okay. I've been promising folks I'd get to their questions. So <clears throat> Kyle Ray asks, typically when I explain disciple making movements to my church board and staff, I reference Sarah Leone, probably, you know, Shadonke, who leads the movement mm -hmm. there. Can you name the top three places currently where we are seeing disciple-making movements happening? Well, I can give you my frame of reference. Understand that I only view one slice of the pie. I mean, I do cross-pollinate with others around the world, but whatever I tell you, someone else may have a different view. So I don't want to act exclusive in what I say. So in terms of our frame of reference, we definitely see tremendous progress in not only Sierra Leone, but in what is called Anglophone West Africa, the English-speaking part of West Africa. We, we also see it in um, what's called the Horn of Africa, which for us encompasses Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, and Somalia, very tough territory. We, we see it happening in India. We see it happening in Indonesia. I know I'm past the limit. I'm just giving you a flavor here. And, and we see You're only allowed to mention three. No, I'm kidding. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, but let me say this. By God's grace. You can keep adding. I was teasing you. We're, we're seeing it broadly, and, and that's operative, because if it was only in a certain location, certain set of, of characteristics, certain set of government, uh, certain set of language, culture, certain set of anything, if you're seeing it isolated as opposed to broadly uh, diverse, then you're probably not looking at meta principles. Turn that coin over if you see it going everywhere. And think about this, not just everywhere, but working with Muslims, working with Hindus, working with Buddhists, working with atheists, working in places of persecution, working in places of freedom, working with rich, working with poor, working with urban, working with rural, et cetera, et cetera. Now what you're seeing is principle at the base. Obviously, I said before, custom expression, but principle at the base that allows us to achieve what God asked us to do. Boy, I, I, I'm amazed. I'm so encouraged by these movements, Harry. So Dave has a question here. Yep. What are the best first steps to take to launch Discovery Bible Studies in a U.S. church to target those interested in the faith but not yet believers? Yep. So uh, by shortage of time, we're going to give you just a, a, a quick answer to that. It's worthy of a lot more unpacking. Put the prayer base in place first. All of us Westerners want to launch off and go step one, two, three, four kind of thing. Let me just say with tremendous emphasis, put the prayer base in place. What we're dealing with is spiritual strongholds. Mm. The people from other countries come and they stay in my house and we talk about these things. And I say, what do you see? And they say, we see strongholds you have no idea. Well, I mean, when I go to your place, 
I see the witch doctors and I see the crazy and the demonic and whatever. What do you see here? We see things like arrogance and affluence and independence and disobedience and yada, yada, yada. And if you don't think those are restraining the work of God to create movements, then you're sadly mistaken. Put the prayer base in place, job one. Then you have to realize this is oversimplified, the quick version. You look at anything that's established, doesn't matter, organization, church, whatever. You can typically say we have to do triage, three levels, right? There is a level within that that will never change no matter how much dynamite you use. So you, you are pushing against the wall if you expect to change it. There's another tier that is going to say yes, yes, and they either mean no, no, or they mean a little bit for a short period of time. Those are not where you want to make your investment. Then there's a tier that says, I am all in because I am sufficiently spiritually dissatisfied that I cannot believe this is the end of the story and God has more. I see it in his word. I hear it in his heart. What will it take? That's the crew that you want to invest in. When you do invest in them, here's the idea. The idea is little wins that can compound as they go in the same direction. You can't create a revolution all at once because you're dealing with a paradigm. The paradigm has all kinds of elements. It's not one thing. Everything fits together. And until you get a critical mass, you don't get a result. So if in fact you're going to do this, you got to start the prayer base in place. You have to think it through for what it's going to look like. You have to pick a target to focus on. You got to get some dissatisfied entrepreneurs who are willing to go 1.0, 2.0 and learn as they go. And then you have to create momentum with little wins. That's the short version. Wow, that's really good. Okay. Um, if somebody's going to launch a DBS, what would you tell them to do after? Uh, we've already established this, so let me just reiterate the point. The first thing is a foundation of prayer and fasting. Actually, I want to ask you to jump in on the fasting part before I get to this question about DBS. Okay, um, I think it is a very neglected aspect of spiritual warfare. You know, uh, Jesus was speaking to the disciples when they were frustrated and said, you know, why couldn't we do it like you did? And he said, this kind of only comes out by prayer and fasting. That's just an illustrative comment that says the battle rages. We, we know about Daniel being resisted, the prince of Persia, you know, three weeks, etc. This is not a, a wave the wand kind of a thing and it just all goes away it is a pitched battle it's a street fight if you expect to see the captives set free you have to bind the strong man and the strong man is defined as a strong man there is power at work here the fasting is a dimension of power that westerners know very little about it's something you have to grow into you're not going to hit a 21 day fast you know out of the blocks kind of thing. But it's like everything. You build spiritual muscle uh, little by little uh, by going in the same direction. So fasting is the same kind of thing. And it's a absolutely essential part of the process. Harry, do you ever see uh, disciple-making movements without prayer and fasting? I would say no. Wow. So that's a that's kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. This equation is a spiritual warfare equation. Let, let's just make it a military kind of analogy. Let's say that the prayer and fasting is the air war before you get to the ground war. Any good general knows you need both. I am not saying if you just pray enough, it all happens. That doesn't work. I will say without the praying, it's not going to happen. So you better have both. No, that's good. Um, there's a resource uh, that I'll show at the end that uh, Shadonke Johnson wrote the foreword for it. It's a new book that just came out. Literally, it came out this morning, mm -hmm. uh, entitled Fasting and Prayer. And uh, we asked and received Shadonke Johnson, who leads the movement in Sierra Leone, wrote the foreword for it. It's by David Roadcup and Mike Eagle. And mm -hmm. uh, I wanted you to punctuate that, Harry, because... Uh, this has been a, this has been probably my top learning about disciple making movements is that you you don't have disciple making movements and all that. It's actually it's a prayer and fasting movement that is reflected in a disciple making movement. So it's mm -hmm. really the power of the Holy Spirit 
bringing revival and opening doors uh, in response to the prayers of people. You know, you go back to the comment I made before. Everybody will point to John 15 and say, I understand it and believe it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Unpack that. Sit, sit alone sometime and just start to unpack that. What does that look like apart from me in every aspect, every day, in every way? Because the battle rage, it's like gravity. It's always against you. And if you're not constantly counteracting it, you're going to lose. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple-makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Well, let's uh, get to the question here. And that is with Discovery Bible Study, um, how would you start it after, after you've got the fasting and prayer thing in place? How would you start it? So the, the answer here will start with a admonition. Do not think in terms of a cookie cutter formula. Okay, the reason I say that is because who are you walking with? Let, let's say that you're involved in three different arenas, your family, your work, and some sort of recreational whatever. If you try to take a formula and say, I'll apply it in all three arenas, you're going to get it wrong because there's different dynamics. Where's your starting point? Where are they at in their understanding of God and their willingness to respond to God, etc.? It's never a cookie cutter kind of thing. So when people, especially Western people, go formula, turn to page six, look at line nine, it, it, it doesn't work out well. So if you're a good coach, uh, you have to be able to discern where are they at and where do they need to be as the next step on the journey. Now, obviously, lost people need to come to salvation and the obedience of baptism. But that's still too simplistic. What is the world view they're starting from? It's different when you're starting with Muslims than it is with Hindus, than it is with Buddhists, than it is with whatever. It's different when you're dealing with people who have a notion of church from North America or have a notion of what it means to be a believer in Jesus versus a follower of Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. So I know that's a long answer, but, but basically there's some funk work that has to be done and some prayer work to discern where is this person or this group at? Where do they need to be? What are the compass headings in Scripture that will get them there? Okay, that's good. Um, Harry, if you were to point people who are you know, hearing about Discovery Bible Study, some of them maybe for the first time, where would you point them to uh, where they could learn about that? I mentioned we have a video, a discipleship.org video, uh, you know, with some training on how to do that. But um, it's it's kind of, it was at a conference and it may not be the best format. Would you have anything you'd recommend to them? Yeah, so this one's a twofer. Um, there's a book written by one of our teammates named Jerry Trousdale. It's called Miraculous Movements. And it's a twofer in the sense that it uh, highlights all these incredible, miraculous uh, events that are going on that um, are precursors to disciple-making movements. But in the back of it, chapter 13, it talks about, in very simple, actionable kinds of ways, how to get started. So that, that's a good place. And it's a, it's a very inspiring uh, story, read. So I think there's benefit in that. Then I, I believe we have some stuff on our website. And anybody that wants to go deeper, 
we have a uh, curriculum coordinator named Jim Egley that I'll put you in direct contact with. Um, and I'm happy to share with you, you know, whatever will assist you on your journey. Okay. And if you're looking for, for that contact, just to make it simple, you can email info at discipleship.org and we'll make sure that we send that right to sure. her. Sure. And, and we're happy to help anybody on the journey with anything we have. Let me, Harry, I'm going to press you on a couple of uh, controversial things in just a second sure. here. But before we transition, I mentioned that book that Shadonke wrote the forward to, and I just wanted to share that on the screen. Again, okay. it just came out today. Uh, Prayer and Fasting, Moving with the Spirit to Renew Our Minds, Bodies, and Churches. And uh, you can see down there uh, that Shadonke uh, did the forward for us. So we, we're really happy about that, and I'll recommend Amen. it. That's on Amazon.com. Okay, so um, I'm going to start with Kyle's question from the chat box where he's saying about the – the timeframes on these. And so what I want us to do is envision uh, disciple-making movements starting here. And uh, I just want to press you on what would you do first, and then I want to bring up some things where some of my friends, and in, in fact some of my experience with Discovery Bible Study wasn't as effective as I would want it to be, and uh, I know that there are genuine people working on trying to lay these foundations for disciple-making movements here in North America, and they're having similar frustrations. So I want to press you on it. So sure. hypothetically, let's say you're coming to the to the Nashville area. I'm going to use Nashville just because that's where I live. Actually, it's where you're living now, too. So we're going to collaborate. Uh, you, you and me – and uh, a guy named Ken, we're going to collaborate, and okay. we want to try to reach the Curtis population in the greater Nashville area mm-hmm. that is uh, the largest Kurdish population outside of Iraq. Okay. Okay. And uh, what are we going to do first, Harry? We're going to start with forming a prayer base. Bing! All right. The gold star in your chart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, assuming the prayer base in place. So you have to start um, identifying the people who are going to be engaging and or training the folks who are going to be engaging. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that. And, and it's it's a challenge because everybody wants to rush right in. Let's be in the middle of the community and let's just start going good things and see results happen. This is a go slow to go fast kind of a uh, idea. The paradigm has to be set and the skill sets have to be developed if people are going to actually see a long-term result, especially a reproductive result, come out of that. So, and and, and here's just a, a case in point. Uh, all of us in the West, me included, have a tendency to want to teach. We, we want to provide the answer. It takes a lot of work to learn how to ask the right question. Questions are more difficult. A lot of Jesus' teaching was actually asking questions. He asked a lot of them. Um, so when, when you're training people how to engage, there's the relational aspect. What are you going to do because you're not welcome, what you have is not wanted? How are you going to solve that problem? So there's an engagement strategy. But with the engagement, then you have to have a how are we going to launch strategy. We mentioned the person of peace. It takes uh, quite a bit of experience to actually discern who the person of peace is. There's a lot of false positives out there. So the process of, okay, what am I looking for? How will I know? And what are my steps with him or her is also part of a skill set training. Then, then there's the launching of a discovery Bible study. And here, this is really important. It's worth a lot of time another day. What is your role? Typically, Westerns, especially trained ministry people, want to be in the middle of things and make, you know, something happen by their direct impact. There's a difference between what you do and what you make happen. The what you make happen is by design through somebody else. That's, that's a piece of strategy. That strategy has to say, I am not 
and I should not try to be the insider to this group that is forming. They have equity between them. And if I insert myself, I bring a genetic defect into the mix. What I need to do is help discern who God has ordained as the leader, make sure I can give them the mindset, the tools, the coaching, and the encouragement so they can fulfill their role. So my role is different than their role. Being able to see that and not just articulate it, but being able to live it out is a big deal. We're talking training here. We're talking about, okay, when I, I hit the first roadblock, I have a problem come up. There's disunity in the group or whatever, or there's a fight for who's going to facilitate or whatever. What am I going to do here? All of that kind of stuff is stuff you just have to build in and there's no way to microwave experience. You know, you get it by doing it and you have to have somebody can coach you when you're in the middle of that. Now, we, we do have, um, we didn't say this before, but we do now have a North American DMM branch. And they have, I think our current count is 30 plus coaches. And the coach is the phone a friend option. Okay, here's my circumstance. Here's what I've done. Here's what did work. Here's what didn't work. What would you suggest I do now? The coach is part of that and also peer groups. People that are, okay, I'm doing with the Kurdish over here. Somebody's doing it with the Somalis over there. Somebody else is doing it with the soccer moms over here. Okay, well, there's still things that we can learn from each other as we listen to each other while we all try to get better together kind of a thing. And, and I know this is a fire hose and whatever. I'm trying to give a flavor of a process. It is not so simple as I'll send you the manual, just do what it says. No, that's that's really good now. <clears throat> how long uh, to where you're forming discovery Bible studies do you envision it taking? Yeah, it's an impossible answer because it's case by case. Sure. Give us a range then. So in terms of a range, and of course, my framework reference is overseas. And I'm not saying that what happens there happens here in the same fashion. So, you know, we could be wildly off here. So we're, we're typically seeing a movement kind of activity in four to five years from ground zero engagement, even among highly resistant people groups like radical Muslims and whatever. And in that, you, you get the typical thing. I don't know if the people can see me, but what I'm doing is driving a curve that uh, accelerates. It, it's kind of like, okay, in this period, like what is happening? It's just all, you know, plowing and picking and digging and whatever. Then we're getting into the building kind of a stage. And that's the truth of any foundation. Any foundation, it takes um, a lot of time and a lot of care to make sure it's four square. And then all of a sudden, the the structure seems to just kind of go up. It it, it really is part of a strategy that says we're going to do it right. And that's what's going to give us the long term. Think about long term now. Is, Is it one generation, two generation? No. Think 20, 30. Think about what we talked about. What is going to last a thousand generations from now? That makes it worth it to put time into the foundation to make sure that we're actually distilling, rooting, and reproducing a DNA that represents the kingdom in a way that does not depend on us. That's a mouthful. And you don't get there by just opening the manual and going to page six. Wow. So if I'm thinking of my Kurdish neighborhood, uh, you could be talking years before you really start. You know, right now I can tell you about stories about how God is choosing to move in power in ways that haven't happened in a thousand years. And I mean this literally. There's a situation in North Africa. We submitted a case study to the history people, and they say it hasn't happened in a thousand years. But you know what? We're standing on the shoulders of generations of people who prayed and cried and bled and died for these days and did the heavy lifting in the heavenlies through their intercession that now makes it possible. Do I think things can happen quickly? Yes, because I see a God of miracles. But do I think that it's always going to happen that way? No, I don't. So um, if, if he calls you to focus on ABC group in a given location, I can't predict for you how fast it's going to happen. What I can say is 
the principles that are working over there and everywhere are going to work here too. You know, Harry, I was going to dive into some details that were <clears throat> controversial just just to help explore them for everyone joining us. And uh, because you're doing such a good job of taking us in a on this journey of understanding something that is not normal, uh, we didn't get a chance to do that. Um, <clears throat> um, you and I talked before we started that we want we want you back. So we're going to be scheduling you back to jump into some of those. I do have one question for you. Sure. Yep. And before I get to that question, I think Dave's going to show a short clip. And then on the other side, uh, I want to ask you um, your my question. I'll wait till we get there. Hey guys, you can have immediate access to all the material from the Holistic Disciple Making Intensives and you can purchase the course for personal use at a time that's best for you. It's called our Holistic Disciple Making Masterclass and Certification. And with it, you get access to all the in-depth discussions in video and in written form, online assessments, and you get Discipleship.org's certification. So for more information, please click the tab below. So Harry, here's my question. Uh, we began by really thinking about and praying for the day when God does disciple-making movements here in North America. Yes. If you have, um, say, church leaders, uh, even leaders of networks and fellowships watching, and you were to give them one piece of exhortation, and it may be fasting and prayer, mm -hmm. um, I think we've done a good job with that. And, and if you want to come back to that, please do. But if you were to say one thing right now to turn our eyes to, to ask God to create these disciple-making movements in our midst, what would it be? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm going to give you an answer that's going to sound a little strange. Maybe we'll unpack it another day. In my experience, tromping around the world, something like 85 countries now over the last 46 years, I have very rarely seen people who have a clear definition of what they're trying to achieve. Call it about clarity of success. And, and the reason that becomes so important is everything you do should relate to where you want to be, where you want to go, what you want to achieve. And I've not seen that with sufficient clarity. So I see a lot of nice people doing very noble things. That's not getting them to the place where their soul is satisfied. And I think it's because they haven't got a clear view of where God wants them to be. And therefore, they haven't put a plan in place to get there in a structure that allows it to happen. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And, and once... You know, the clouds part and you can see the top of the mountain and say, okay, that's what God is saying to me. Then how we get there has meaning. Because unless you know where you want to be, it doesn't matter which way you want to go. No, that's good. It, it, what you're saying is, uh, again, if, if you're going to shoot for something, what is it you're shooting for? Right. So. And, and the, reason, the reason I went there is there's a tendency for everybody to take what is today and try to extrapolate it into being something different. Let's add on something, let's tweak this and whatever else. And it tends to be very marginal its impact. What you're asking me is about how do we see the kingdom of God have this chain reaction of reproductiveness in it that will touch every segment of any society anywhere and keep its authenticity without me. You didn't use those words, but that's what you're asking me. Well, you, you have to start by getting a real clear vision of saying, okay, that is what I want for my life, my organization, my church, whatever else. And I'm willing now to make whatever changes are required so that that can be true before I die. That's good. Well, Harry, uh, thank you so much for your time today on Disciple Making Movements. I want to encourage everybody again, please check out newgenerations.org and uh, we pray that new generations and what they're doing that God will really fan into flames their ministry.
Make sure to mark your calendars for this year, 2021, on November 4th and 5th. We're going to be hosting a live and in-person national disciple-making forum here in Nashville, Tennessee at Brentwood Baptist Church. We're going to have speakers like Elisa Childers, Dave Clayton. We'll have our own Bobby Harrington, Shudon K. Johnson, and Ariana Remsen. It's going to be an incredible time. And I'll be leading worship for us as well. So I look forward to leading you guys when you're here. So go on over to discipleship.org today and purchase your tickets. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I'll see you next time. Oh,